Welcome back to Tales of the Resistance, your favorite podcast about antimicrobial resistance and how it affects our daily lives. I'm Mara. I'm one of the regular hosts of the podcast and project manager with the I'm Responsible Project, a nationwide education and outreach program focused on antimicrobial resistance and what we all can do to fight the problem. I'm going to be joined on the podcast today by our recently hired social media expert, Beth. Hi, everyone. I'm Beth. I am happy to be back to learn more about AMR. And by our favorite doctor, Noel Atienomore, a PhD of civil engineering. Hello, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. My name is Noel, and welcome to our podcast. We're continuing with our series, answering some of your questions that you submitted about the basics of antimicrobial resistance through our social media feeds or via email. If you want to submit additional questions, you can reach out to us on our socials. We're at I underscore am responsible on Twitter and I am responsible edu on Facebook and Instagram. You can also email us directly at iamr.project at gmail.com or find us at our website iamrproject.com. So we've got a few more questions today, but we'll have lot we have lots more exciting things coming up, not just us answering questions. We're going to bring in some real experts on the topics and and get a little creative with how we're learning about antimicrobial resistance in the weeks to come. So we hope you will stay tuned for that. All right, let's go ahead and get into it. All right, so let's get started with this question. What are antimicrobial agents? And I know we've kind of touched on this a little, but there's some nuances here that I don't think that we've really hit. So that's why I wanted to be sure we included this one. How about you guys? What was the first thing that came to mind when you guys read this question? This some um, question actually confused me a little bit. I was like, uh, viruses, bacteria, protozoa, what exactly are they asking? Like what could be a antimicrobial? Yeah, I think that's kind of what it's getting at because antimicrobial agents thinks that it's a chemical, but it's modified that it can inhibit or kill. So it can inhibit the growth of microorganisms or it can kill microorganisms. And so basically here, microorganisms are anything starting off bacteria, protozoa, viruses, anything that can cause a disease. Antimicrobial agents are stuff that can inhibit the growth of that or kill them. Yes, yes. We've talked a lot about how the use of antimicrobials selects for anything that has a resistance to it. You know, we've talked about genetic mutations that give cells uh, some kind of way to survive in the presence of something that is antimicrobial. So an antimicrobial would select for survival mutations, but microbes can survive. There's some kind of microbes that can survive basically any antimicrobial effect. Not, I, well, maybe I don't wanna say any, but a lot of them. And cause there's gonna be microbes out there that can survive a heat treatment. There's gonna be microbes that can survive a lot of different like chemicals and stuff that we use. And because they have like, they can do spore forming or 
they have different cell walls or maybe different classes of antimicrobial of, of microbe. So you were talking about how some microbials can survive um, different treatments like heat treatment or a lot of chemicals. So are those bacteria that survive then the ones that become resistant then to those treatments, they become tougher? Or is this just a different class of bacteria that are always going to survive regardless of, it has nothing to do with AMR? Yeah, I would say it's the latter. So there are survival mechanisms that some types of microbes have that are sort of intrinsic to their type of microbe. So like if they're a spore forming microbe, and that just means that when they're in a very harsh condition, they basically condense themselves into this extremely resilient form that isn't um, replicating. It's not really active. It's just keeping itself safe until it gets into a new place that is safer. So spore-forming bacteria, it's sort of intrinsic to their whole, their whole being, I guess, in a way. And so that, that wouldn't be considered an antimicrobial resistance because it's not a mutation that could be easily transferred to a pathogen. Well, at least that's, that's how I would define it in my head. And man, we probably should have an expert on here who knows definitions. But in my mind, antimicrobial resistance is kind of limited to survival mechanisms that are mutations. So they're not intrinsic to the species. and especially important are the opportunity for those mutations to be transferred to possible pathogens, um, because that's what we're really concerned about is the presence of an antimicrobial resistance gene within a pathogen of some kind. It makes sense what you just said. Pathogens are part of microorganisms. Pathogens can be viruses or bacteria. I don't think pathogens encompasses a lot of things. I think it's also like a subclass of microorganisms and then it's a group of certain microorganisms. And also the thing about pathogens is that their pathogens are different things, basically. You know, there are plant yeah. pathogens and then there yeah. are human pathogens. And pathogens cause diseases. I think they're microorganisms that cause diseases. That's what pathogens do. Next question. Are there alternatives to the use of antibiotics in farm animals? It's kind of complicated. There are certainly all of the same alternative preventive measures for animals as there are for humans in the sense that many animal diseases have vaccines that could be used. There are probiotics and immune boosters that can help their general health and keep them healthy. To my knowledge, there aren't a lot of, there hasn't been a lot of research on like, say, bacteriophage straight alternatives to an antibiotic. I think it's more reducing the need to use antibiotics has been the point of research. And then the main thing that I would say is to talk about biosecurity. But before I get too far into that, did you guys other have found other, have knowledge of actual alternatives to antibiotics or any other interesting things you found out about that? The only thing that came to my mind when I saw this was uh, Mara, the project that he worked on. Yeah, the one that was using essential oils. I don't know if that is related to biosecurity that you're going into or not. Well, it's not a little bit, although it is. I did write that in my notes for a different question. So Noelle and I had done some research on a project that was looking at essential oils as an alternative for antibiotics 
for growth promotion. And like I was saying, when we're talking about antibiotics for growth promotion, there's a reason to give animals growth promoting compounds, and that improves the overall production efficiency for how much food we can get out of a single animal. And anyone who's interested in uh, things like preventing world hunger or climate change, because we got to improve how much food we can get for every unit of water and feed that we give an animal, would be interested in, in identifying growth promoting materials. So once we outlawed um, the use of antibiotics for growth promotion, there's been a lot of research, including the study that Noel and I were working on, to see whether there are alternative substances. The one we were, were looking at was essential oil additives. And I think from my reading on this, some of this research, but a lot of the stuff that they use has antimicrobial properties in certain circumstances, and maybe that's why they selected them. And this is kind of going back to the question about what is an antimicrobial agent. So these alternatives are not antibiotics, they're not drugs, but they have antimicrobial properties. So one of the things that Noel and I were looking at was, does the addition of these antimicrobial property, these antimicrobial agents, I guess, for lack of a better word, to animal feed, even though they're not antibiotics, do they have an impact on antimicrobial resistance in pathogens that are present in the animals? I haven't actually published the paper yet because I am so far behind on everything, but it didn't really, uh, <laughs> it didn't really have an effect on them. So that kind of, it's kind of a question of, are we following the letter of the law in terms of we're not giving them an antimicrobial, an antibiotic, but we're, we're replacing it with an antimicrobial compound of some kind or a compound with antimicrobial properties for growth promotion that's kind of the idea on on some of that stuff it's kind of i it's still an open question on i think how effective they are and what what is the impact on antimicrobial resistance is it similar or is it not so i have no ideas about alternative uses for antibiotics no ideas <laughs> but um, i did want to add because this is what came when I was reading this question is when talking about the use of antibiotics and farm animals and finding another solution, I felt like we need to keep in mind what is capable of being implemented. So it has to be affordable and accessible to farms in not only higher income countries, but also low income countries. And this is a world issue. It's important that we need to keep in mind and this is just from the articles I've been reading, but it sounds like, you know, there's a rising rate of AMR, not only in higher income countries, but also in lower income, lower income countries as they're using more antibiotics. But it's also a really complicated issue because, so I was reading an article about broiler chickens used in Central America by small time farmers. And the article brought up the point of how asking small time poultry farmers who are dependent on their income they make from this and the increase of protein in their diet to just stop using broiler chickens because they had a lot of AMR found in them. So anyway, to just stop using broiler chickens is 
tone deaf to the other concerns in these farmers' lives, like poverty. So using broiler chickens can be the only thing allowing these families to feed themselves. For a low-income country, often they have like other health concerns or other issues that are more pressing than maybe it seems like for AMR, like malaria or HIV AIDS or, you know, whatever it is, they have other things that they have on their plate. And then this is kind of another burden getting added on, regulating AMR. And unfortunately, I can see a a future in which higher income countries get a grip on their antibiotic use and such, but then they turn around and point the finger at lower income countries and maybe they haven't come as far uh, because they have other issues they're also dealing with. And that's just how it is so often. Um, But this is reminding me of typhoid Mary. How can we ask someone to prioritize AMR over their own livelihoods, like with the COVID? People working in low-income jobs were often the most exposed Yet they can't just stop going to work because the alternative was, say, losing the roof over their head. Or with typhoid Mary, these scientists came up to her and said, "Uh, you know, you have to stop working because you're spreading typhoid fever. And she couldn't see anything about it. So she was like, "Eh, I'm not going to stop going to work. So that makes me think about AMR. It's not such of a visible, someone is getting sick right in front of you threat. So what I'm trying to say is just keeping in mind that the solution, like a different alternative to antibiotics, has to be something that is capable of being implemented. It's got to be affordable. It's got to be accessible. It can't be something that, oh, yeah, we found a solution. We found a way to stop this, but it's going to cost a lot of money, and it's going to be really tricky to get this off the ground and running. And, yeah, we didn't take any consideration for people's livelihoods. What? What are you talking about? We didn't need to talk about that kind of thing. It's just like it's a complicated issue and there's more than just one concern. Yeah. And I think kind of behooves us, us as in people who are working in developed countries, especially those who are working on, say, technologies that may be used or, or treatments to address some of these problems to keep that in mind. And, and that's really important because From my experience talking to people who are are working in this space in terms of how to find alternatives to the current level of use of antibiotics, usually, at least in the developed countries, what they'll say is, first thing is something like biosecurity, which I kind of mentioned before. But biosecurity is a system, the sense of a facility-wide set of measures that is used to basically put an invisible barrier around your facility and every animal in it from the outside world. You are including animal housing. You're including shower facilities for any person coming into the building or going out of the building. You are ensuring that there are no vermin or wildlife accessing the building. You've got traps and and things for mice, flies, all that stuff. You don't want any transfer between the outside world or any animals in the outside world and your animals inside the building or any people outside and the people and things inside the building. There's a complete wash station. There's decontamination of any thing that you bring in. We did some work in pig farms and you had to, all of your clothes outside, they don't come into the building. 
you have a totally different set of clothes that only stays in the building. All of your equipment that you need to do sampling, it has to be decontaminated before it comes into the building. And all of this stuff is used pretty extensively as like a first line of defense to reduce the need for antibiotics in livestock production in the United States. There's a lot of biosecurity measures. But all of this stuff from the housing, all of the decontamination facilities, the tracing, it all requires investment. And if you go to actual how farming, livestock farming is done in other countries, like say Central America, a lot of times the the animals are, are kind of living with, not necessarily with the people, but in the same sort of farmyard you know you'll have your house then you'll have your barn you may have chickens and things kind of wandering around the yard and stuff there's a lot more interaction between species different kinds of animals animals and wildlife people pets and all of those are opportunities to transfer diseases there's more opportunities for the animals the meat animals to interact with their environment so water that hasn't necessarily been treated soil that necessarily hasn't necessarily been treated. And all of those are opportunities for sickness into the animal. And the whole point of biosecurity measures is basically to prevent the need to treat your animals because they don't get sick. And that's the first line of defense in reducing the use of antimicrobials. Well, none of that is available if you're not looking at livestock on the same scale in the systems that we use it here in the United States. So If we're talking about a totally different type of livestock production that is being done, we have to think of totally different types of solutions. And that's a challenge for those of us like uh, Noelle and I who have worked on like identifying what, what we can do in livestock production to prevent transfer of antimicrobial resistance. It's an important point to bring up. And will certainly complicate this question going forward. I also think, just based on what you're saying, it also almost sounds like a difference between small time farming and like a small family farm or a big commercial farm. So like even maybe somewhat, it doesn't have to necessarily be a low income country. It could just be a really small time farm. They're not going to maybe have all those investments. Like that sounds like a lot of money. You know, it might just not be as much of a priority for them to spend all that money if they don't have as many animals. That's true. And I will say, so in the U.S., that kind of biosecurity. So first, I guess I should say in the U.S., while there are some small farms producing pigs or chickens, they are very small and niche. And almost all of the the pork and poultry products that you eat are going to be coming from a very sign- a large commercial operation, and those will have very significant biosecurity measures. Dairies are a bit of a mixed bag. I mean, I've certainly gone to dairies that have pretty that are large and have a lot of biosecurity measures, but cattle, because it's mostly at least started on small farms, like you're saying, cow calf operations where people the calves are born they grow to a certain age and then they're sold to a feedlot for beef production cattle is much less uh has a lot less of that sort of biosecurity measures but there's an important reason for that is that first of all pigs have the most similar 
set of pathogens to them as to us. So we're most likely to transfer it to them. And that's why one of the reasons why you want to keep pigs um, safe from us <laughs> as much as possible. And, um, and chickens are real tough because there are so many of them and they transfer their diseases so quickly that you have to treat the herd once someone gets sick. Whereas cows, it's easier to identify a single animal for treatment. So it's maybe not as essential to, well, not to say that it's not essential, but maybe not as cost uh, efficient to put in these kind of systems. That said, there are certainly a lot of investment in, in even beef cattle production on like, housing and stuff to keep them out of the environment and and try and keep them healthier but you know it is it is a mixed bag of larger farms being able to invest in that sort of thing but it, it does have to do with the type of animal as well for the most part well that wraps us up for today we certainly have more questions from the audience coming in soon uh, hopefully you'll come back and listen to us more. Thank you all for joining. Thanks for joining us today. Hope you come back next time.